Praise God. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back. Um, if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. I want to continue from where we left off five or six weeks ago in, in the apostasy series, the great apostasy. And in fact, today will be the last in this series. The, the message I did before we left was on what? Can anybody remember? Hell. Okay. One of the, the most difficult messages, one of the most difficult topics I think any Christian or any church has to deal with. Today, that, that was the bad news. Today's the good news because heaven and hell kind of go together. Take a look at this. When people talk about heaven, they talk about up, right? And that's okay. That's for the moment, that's okay. But scripture tells us that eventually heaven is coming down upon the earth. When people talk about hell, they talk about down, right? You often get this sort of, you know, behavior. And that's also true. At least it's true for the moment. One of the th- I like to believe scripture. I like to read the Bible and believe it uh, nice and simple. Don't overcomplicate it. But once we start trying to talk God out of what he's already said, I have real problems with that. I believe heaven is a real place. I believe it's a real place that God, Jesus said he was working on for 2,000 years and he's going to bring back upon the earth. It's a real place that scripture gives us a description of. And I'm sorry to say, and God is sorry to say, that I also believe that hell is a real place. So we know that paradise, if you remember the three heavens, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, remember. So I can accept the fact that paradise is there and that one day heaven, when Jesus is ready, will come down upon the earth as it says in the book of Revelation. But I also need to accept the fact that hell is a real place. So where is it? Well, there's many scriptures that actually tell you exactly where it is. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 40, it says, So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights. It says He descended into hell. It says, So the Son of Man shall be three days, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the belly of the earth. And then also in Ephesians 4, 9, it says not that He only ascended, but He also descended into the lower parts of the earth to what scripture actually calls Sheol the realm of departed spirits where is it yeah the bible says that when if you're saved and you die right your spirit goes to paradise goes up to paradise but scripture is actually very clear when a lost person dies their spirit goes to Sheol And we know where heaven is, but we also need to understand that God's in charge here and there's there's stranger things in reality than there ever are in fiction. There's stranger things in the Bible than Hollywood could ever dream up. And the fact is this Sheol is underneath our feet. I love the last one because it's, if you remember when Korah and the other rebels turned against Moses, what happened? The ground opened up and swallowed them, right, down into the earth. Now, you know the story. Many of you maybe can remember this from school. The earth 
the center of the earth is hotter than the surface of the sun. Okay? And you know the descriptions of hell. I'll get to heaven in a moment. It's just an introduction. The center of the earth is hotter than the surface of the sun. And I believe, this is what I believe, you don't have to agree with me, but I, I believe I can give you a scriptural case for what I'm saying, is that within this core somewhere are the spirits of all those lost who have died. Okay? And in paradise, as Jesus puts it, are all those saved who have died. Now, these are realities. And I don't know what your grandmother told you, but you need to be careful of that. I don't know what any previous pastor told you, but you also need to be careful of that. What I'm telling you is in the book. Amen? Amen. It's in the book. And if you can't give me a scriptural answer for what you're saying about these realities, that's no good. And anything that's in that book, I need to know it. That's why it's written. I need to know it. I need to understand it. Because one day, you know, the, the, these things are going to become apparent. Three weeks ago, I preached on hell. And I said to you that many of you will never hear a message on hell in your life. And I think of those eight people who died on Friday. I wonder where any of them saved. And I wonder if any of them heard me. I wonder what their reaction would have been on Thursday. Who do you think you are? You expect me to believe that? And this is the great tragedy. The great tragedy is, is not the fact that they're gone. It's that they're gone forever. Gone forever and ever and ever. And heaven and hell and earth, these things are absolute reality. And it scares the living daylights out of me, you know, when people don't take God seriously because you just cannot afford to do that. So we looked at hell. That's the bad news. Today we'll look at heaven and what it means to me. Next slide, please. Scripture is also very, very clear about heaven, not confusing at all. But I want to reinforce some truths here. I believe Scripture talks about two judgments, not just one. Two judgments, one for the saved and one for the lost. And these two judgments are very, very different things. In fact, turn to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. This is Paul talking about you and about me, about believers. For we must all appear before the judgment seat. And that word is bima, if you remember. It means a seat of rewards. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done whilst in the body, whether good or bad. Now, it's a very interesting scripture indeed, because the Greek, unfortunately in English, it doesn't translate well. But what the Greek says here, if I can just expand this a moment, you will be judged when you die. You will go before the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be judged for reward, not for punishment. Okay? Because your sins have been taken care of on the cross. And when you die, you will appear before the Bema seat, which is the seat of rewards. And you will stand there before Christ. And he will recount the deeds that you did whilst in your body. Okay? Now, the, the next part is absolutely critical. 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. In fact, let's turn to it so you can see that I'm not making it up. 
1 John chapter 1. I'll read from verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. One of the most critical stumbling points for many believers here is that once they get saved, they, to get saved, they have repented of their sin, right? They have repented and forsaken. What happens when you sin again? Problem here. <laughs> There's a great problem around the world here, you know. So a person repents of their sin, they forsake their sin, they turn to God, and they get born again. But then they sin. Well, what you must do in order for that sin not to be held against you you need to confess. You need to do exactly the same thing. Now, if you don't do that, that sin remains. Okay? Do you understand? It's a very serious issue. I mean, look at Hebrews. Where there are many scriptures in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Just turn to that, please, because I want you to see this for yourself. Incredibly serious scripture. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left for us, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. So what I see, not just in this country, but around the world, is a great casual attitude within Christians who get saved. They they repent, they forsake, they get saved, and then as time goes by, they stop doing this, or at least what they do is they do the first part. They confess, but they do not forsake. Okay? And it requires both. Now, I thank God for this. Your sins are dealt with when you're born again, but you must continue to confess and forsake. Okay? For the lost, unfortunately, it's a very different scenario. They have not had their sins taken care of. They have not gone to Christ, and so their sin remains. He has done everything for them. God the Father sent His Son to die on a cross for them. But their judgment will not be for reward. It will be unto damnation. And that's a choice. Not God's choice, because God made every possibility, every opening available to mankind. But mankind kind of mocks God and refuses to recognize that. Now, I could tell you many stories about people. I remember I I mentioned a guy, a friend of mine called Campbell, who was living with his girlfriend, sleeping with his girlfriend. He had been saved. He was in a church, got into this relationship, and he used to come round and see me regularly and tell me how he would see me when I, you know, in glory. I'll see you in heaven, Pastor Mike. And I used to say, Campbell, I won't be seeing you there because you keep on like that. You're not going there because you have not, conf- you have not continued to confess and forsake. And so your sin remains, brother. Your sin remains. But he could not accept that. Instead of accepting the Bible, he accepted loose church culture. He, he, he found pastors, other believers, who would accept him like that. And my appeal to him many times, he's a very nice guy. My appeal to him many times was, don't do this. Don't do this with salvation. O- obey the Lord of the Bible. Be very careful. So I die. I appear before Jesus Christ. You appear before Jesus Christ. What's going to happen? (laughs) What's going to happen? 
What's he going to say to you? I want to know. And thank God the Bible has actually been very clear about this. On your notes, you'll see a list of how I see it. It's not an exhaustive list. You could add many things to it. But there are many wrong beliefs within my mind about what this judgment will entail. One of the things we need to be incredibly careful of is comparison. Because when we think of rewards, we automatically think of comparing, you know, one person with another. Right? And that's not really the the basis on which God will, Jesus will do the rewarding. It's not going to be based on comparison. Scripture has a very low opinion of comparison, right? Paul says, when you compare yourselves with yourselves, you're fools. You don't understand how, how foolish that actually is. Jesus has a completely different criteria of judgment. I want to know because I need a reward, right? Jesus encourages me to work for a heavenly reward. But if I don't know how that comes, how can I work for it? The first thing I would say that this reward is based upon is not comparing you to anybody. It will actually be based on the amount of effort, number one, that you have put in to your Christian life. The amount of work. If I can put it like this, say there's two boys in a class and one of them is very smart, naturally smart, and one of them is very dull, naturally dull. And there's, a, there's an exam coming up, and they both, uh, sorry, they, 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 the smart boy doesn't study. He says, ah, you know what, I'll just get through it. He turns up on the exam, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's so smart, without studying, he gets 70%. But the dull boy, he works hard, he studies hard. He puts a lot of effort into it and he turns up and he only scores 20%. Now in the world, the boys go to school and they get their results. But not in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Because Jesus would have those two people before him. And he would say to the smart boy, you can do better than this, 70%. You didn't study. You didn't work. I give you zero. And he would say to the dull boy, Well done. You scored 70, I'll give you 10 out of 10. You understand? It's not based upon comparison in the kingdom. It's based upon my effort, right? Not just that. I'll be judged on my gift. Every person here has a gift. There's no exceptions. You need to know what your gift is and then realize that that gift does not belong to you. Correct? It's not yours. So when I got saved, I was called to be a preacher, a teacher, right at the beginning. I knew what my gift was, but thank God, I also understood it's not mine. It belongs to the church. So I remember it to this day. I rang my eldership, and I spoke to them, and I said, here you are. And here's my gift. And I'm available to you to do whatever you want me to do. It's an important principle, folks, because some people get their gift. What do they do with it? Keep it. And they decide. I will decide what I do. I will decide whether I like my gift or I don't. I didn't particularly like my gift. I didn't want my gift. It's not what I sought. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what I sought. So there's a brokenness that has to come. There's a willingness that has to be there. And that's, uh, you know, a a humility before God. And in offering your church, your gift back to the church. Do you understand me? I will face Jesus Christ on that issue. 
So I will stand before him and he will say to me, what did you do? Well, I'm ready to answer that. Amen. Amen. I'm ready to answer that. From the very beginning, Lord, I submitted to the order of the church. And I did whatever they asked me to do. And I was faithful to scripture. It's not just me. (laughs) Every one of you will stand before God for your gift. And you will give an account on that day. Now, Paul said, uh, in fact, I'll come to it in in a moment. He says that everything will be tested by fire. Tested to see the motivations of our hearts, etc., etc. But you'll be judged on your effort. You'll be judged on your gifting and what you did with it. And you'll be judged on the opportunities that life afforded you. Life gives many opportunities. So Friday, Gordon will come up here and say, Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, meet us on Buchanan Galleries. It's an opportunity. It's a moment. It's a chance. It's something that you can do. And we will be judged for reward or for loss, eternal loss, based on those as well. The many, many opportunities we had in life. We will also be judged on the light that we had. Because many of us here born again a long time. And scripture has been opened up to you. You understand many things. And that comes with a responsibility. Amen? You're responsible for that knowledge now. And we will be judged on that light. Paul said he approached this judgment day with like fear and trembling. In this room, I wonder who will get the greatest reward. You, Justice? He's laughing. (laughs) Isabel? Chris. It's got to be Chris. I wonder who. Do you know what, folks? You don't know. We don't know. There's no way of telling. You look at someone like Reinhard Bonnke, and you would automatically think, oh, when we get to judgment, man, he's led millions of people to Christ. He's going to have a great reward. Maybe, <laughs> but you actually don't know that. And one, one of the amazing things about, in fact, I think it's Matthew's gospel. Take a look at this Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. This is talking about the second coming and the run up to judgment. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come to me, you who are blessed by my father, and take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now look at verse 37. Then the righteous. Who's that? Anybody's born again? Spirit filled and gets there. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we do this? When did we see you hungry or thirsty? Okay. And now if you skip down to verse 41, he turns to, 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 to the wicked and says, depart from me, etc., etc., And sorry, verse 44, then the wicked also answer, Lord, when did we see you thirsty or hungry? And my point is, folks, whether it's the sheep or the goats, they have one thing in common. What is it? Shock. Shock. They have one thing in common. 
the righteous are surprised. They said, Lord, are you rewarding me for this? And the wicked are surprised. Everybody is surprised on judgment day. Now, that, if that's not a warning to me, I don't know what is. It means I have to reassess my criteria for facing Jesus Christ. I don't want to be surprised on that day. That's not good. That's not good. It means that it's highly likely many Christians will turn up thinking that they have a reward. Only to be told that you don't. Still saved. Paul says, as one escaping through the flames. Still saved. But they suffer great loss because they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do or maybe with the right attitude they didn't do those things. Do you understand? And so I want to be able to face the same Lord who's given me all this information. My second point, rewards are very high on the agenda of Jesus, though they're not high on my agenda. I'm born again. So because of that, I'm very grateful to God. God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't have to give me anything. I'm quite happy to work for him all my life. I don't need anything. On the night that I got saved, I said that to God. I remember it. I wasn't saved. And I sat in a church and I said, God, you know what? For the rest of my life, I'm going to tell people about you. You don't have to save me. And even if I'm not saved, I know what the truth is and I will do it anyway. Hallelujah. God doesn't owe me anything. And he doesn't owe you anything, right? So rewards are not based on comparison, I guarantee you. But Jesus puts them very high on his preaching agenda. He says that, I'll I'll give you these scriptures at another time, but there are many of them. In Matthew 5, he says, if we are persecuted, we will have a reward. If we forgive one another, there is a reward. If we receive a prophet, in the name of a prophet, there is a reward for that. If we work, there is a reward. If we do good, there is a reward. If we follow Jesus, there is a reward. So Jesus, more than anybody actually, goes into great detail about how you and I should pursue these, what he calls, crowns. He actually lists many of the crowns that we were supposed to be or were supposed to be knowledgeable of and also pursuing. These are the crowns mentioned throughout Scripture. Again, I can give you extensive notes on these. Very interesting. Crown of righteousness, incorruptible crown, the crown of life, crown of rejoicing, crown of glory. Okay? So, point three, what forms will, do these crowns take? And this is something I find constantly bamboozles me. The rewards that Jesus gives you have two forms. The rewards in this life now, we call them blessings. And those which are to come. God has already rewarded us, Jeanette. He has already rewarded us a a, a gazillion times over in this present life. But the great thing about God and His grace is we will also be rewarded in future at the judgment seat. An eternal reward, that is. This is a temporary reward. But don't think of it. And many people think like that. They say, well, God, I would never be a pastor. I would never go into ministry because all God is interested in is heaven. Only interested in the future. And that's not true. The rewards that he gives us now, we call them blessings. The blessings of this life. And folks, take a moment as we do some Fridays. Take a moment and count your blessings. Right? 
You may thank God that you didn't have a friend that was playing in a band in the Kultra Bar on Friday night and said to you, will you come and, come and watch me play? And you said, yeah, okay, I'll go. Like eight other people who turned up to see something, maybe invited, maybe go along. And you can thank God every day for the things that don't happen. Right? Blessings in this present life. Remember to be grateful for them. We can be very abusive in this part of the world, can't we? Take God for granted and take our great culture here for granted. Number four. This is important, folks. Every day, we either add or subtract from the rewards that are potentially there for us. That's every single day. Every day without exception. And if we woke up with that kind of attitude, that kind of mindset... What a different perspective we would have on life. But people, I tell you what, do we waste time or what? You don't have much time, you know. <laughs> I don't have much time. You don't have much time, do we? Man alive. Have you been watching the news? Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel. He was looking, I was look, just looking at the dates. Yeah, that's just about right. Just about bang on schedule. That Iran, uh, Iran will have enriched their uranium by about the middle quarter of next year. There we go. To be honest, folks, I'll, I'll deal with it another day. I would never have believed that the United States would have done last week what they did. But here we are, bang on target, yet Yahoo coming out and saying, this is a disaster. And these Do you know, don't start me on this because it's ridiculous. The Ayatollah in Iran, the previous week, was calling Obama Satan, saying how they, America should be wiped off the face of the earth, how Israel should be removed, and the next week Obama gives him permission to make a nuclear weapon. Now you know he says he's not going to make a nuclear weapon. You, you, must, you need to be a fool to believe that. Absolute fool. It's been their desire f from inception. So th this is really amazing, truly. And it's on your news, right? It's on the wall of the church, <laughs> but it's on the BBC. So don't look at me. Go watch the news and then look at scripture. And we know that there is great, great trouble coming up. My point is, don't waste time. Don't waste time. You only get a certain little portion of time, you know. Some of you will remember a guy called Mike the Bike. Remember him? Yes. He lost his bike and then we called him Mike. <laughs> Mike the Bike was a great guy in this church, a bit of a character. Had a big long beard. And we were doing a missions faith pledge. And he came to me privately. And he said, I'm stirred up. For the first time in my life, I see the importance of everything. And I want to put in my life savings. All of it. Oh, oh. okay. It's a thousand pounds. I, and he, he's a poor guy. He doesn't have much money. He lived at the back here in a small flat, rented flat. He didn't have anything in life. So I thought about it, and I went back to him, and I said, you know what, Mike? Why don't you put, I can't remember what I said, 250 or 300 or something. Why don't you put in 300? Okay? And why don't you keep the rest, because you don't have much means, and I don't want you suffering either. Paul talks about, you know, everybody having enough. And you're going to leave yourself with nothing. I really appreciate you wanting to do this. 
but I also want you to be able to survive. Well, he was furious at me, very angry. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. I can put that money in. I said, okay, Mike, okay, okay. I'm going to put it in. Okay, okay. So in he came. He got his life savings out and he put it in. MFP. What happened, Gordon, three weeks later? He died. No warning. Out of the blue. He just died. The doctors didn't know why. He didn't know he only had three weeks. Thank God he didn't waste another day, huh? Thank God he didn't waste another day. That was the best funeral I've ever done. Wasn't that a good day? It was a fantastic, I mean, you know what I mean, funerals, forgive me, but, but that was the best funeral. It was, God was there. God was there. And all of his family came who were lost. And I was able to tell them that story. And they were baffled by it. Mike gave the church, he wouldn't give anything to anybody. But that was a testimony. That was a witness to that family. Fantastic. Tell me, folks, I mean, how is your expenditure of your time? Remember, Jesus talked about being idle. Being idle doesn't mean you're not doing stuff. Being idle, you can be very busy and be idle. He's talking about what? The kingdom. Talking about the kingdom. We're all busy here. We're all busy. But when it comes to, he says that many are idle. He's talking about those who give no portion. For the kingdom. Or it's the last portion. It's the last thing on their agenda. Everything else takes priority and God gets last place, which is incredibly common in people's lives. Believe me, <laughs> I've got my studies. I've got my job. I've got my family. I've got my badminton. I've got my this. I've got my friends. I've got that. And you know what? I'm out of time next week. So something has to go. I know. God. God, first thing, God can go and I'll keep everything else. And the number of times that I've heard people when I ask them about their level of commitment, it was actually God that was the first guy out of the boat. I'm sorry, folks, but it's true. And I don't want it to be true of me. And you shouldn't want it to be true of you. Amen? Amen. So be careful. We only get this little portion of time that we call life. And it is not long. And you can die, you know, at any moment. And we should be living in a prepared state, you know, being ready for that day, ready for that moment, whether it's through the rapture and the return or whether it's like Friday night, out of the blue. We just never know. We never know. So it's only wise to be prepared and to live in a prepared way. Every day. We either add or subtract to our eternal reward. Those rewards will be based on excellence. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. Now, many of you do things. Okay, You're involved in ministries. You put your tithe in every week. You're an intercessor. Whatever you do, an evangelist. The day will reveal the content of that ministry. Verse 13. 
Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality, the excellence of each person's work. If what a person has built survives, the builder will be rewarded. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So to, to, to paraphrase Paul, all of my ministry from all of my life is going to be piled up in front of me and you, public, and along or down will come the fire of God upon everything I've ever done. And I will have to stand and watch. Oh, I hope there's something left. Or will it all be destroyed? Is there something wrong with my attitudes? Was there something wrong with my motives? Well, the day will reveal it. And scripture goes further than this. And this is an awesome point. It says that books, books will be opened. Books containing your life story. Here we go. Who's this here? The Life and Times of Mervyn Bantua. Mervyn, it's you. Wow. Volume 1 of 137. Wow. Okay. So Mervyn, in 50 years' time, Mervyn dies, and he appears before the judgment seat of Christ. This scares the life out of me. says that books will be opened. So you can imagine an angel comes forward. <coughs> Long book. Mervyn was born in blah, 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 such and such. And here's the deeds of his life. I'll just read it a moment. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, very good, Mervyn. Oh, excellent. Oh, Mervyn, you never did. That's terrible. Terrible. How could you do that? Oh, excellent. Excellent, Mervyn. Excellent. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's terrible. That's good. Mervyn, come on. You get the picture? And the, the, you see, this is a great book. This is an exhaustive concordance of the Bible. And it takes every word, every verse, every letter, and it can take you through every single word in the Bible and give you all the possible outcomes. You know, the book's on Judgment Day a little bit like this. Because your life is not that long, you know. But these books, it doesn't say anything. It just says books. That on that day, books will be brought out and they will be opened. Well, you got one of these coming your way, folks. Right? And that, the reason it's a book is because it's written down. You can't change it. Right? It's written down. And it cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. That was your life. That's how you lived. And now that life is over and you'll be judged on the excellence, the quality that you put in to that life. Now, if that doesn't make you sit up and take notice, I don't know what does. Amen? Amen. I want to work on that book. I want to work on the content of that book and make sure that it's acceptable to God and something that exists and, and lasts through the fire. Number six, the, the rewards will be proportional to the work that you have done. And this is something I would be very cold with myself upon, very calculating with myself upon. Um, no answers out loud here, but what are you doing? What are you doing in terms of the kingdom? 
and what is being credited to your account, for example, today. Don't get this day again. Gone. What are you doing in the kingdom? Everywhere I see Jesus speak, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, workers, workers into the people who are going to do stuff. It says that we will be judged on our works. Each man will be judged for what he did. And if he didn't do anything, he'll suffer eternal loss. But if he did stuff and he did it with the right attitude, he will get a reward for eternity. So what am I doing? The rewards will be proportional to the stuff that I do. And it's hard to understand what Paul is saying there. Again, the translations are not good. But let, let me explain it from a personal example. When we went to Dublin, there was an influx of many tens of thousands of Romanian people. But they were disorganized, disorientated. They were a right mess. And two different groups of Romanian leaders came to me separately and said, would you help us, give us government and help us form churches here? No problem at all. And I began working with them, and we worked with them for about eight years. They didn't help me much, though. Um, there's a guy called Julian. He was a good guy. A guy called Vaziti Paps. He was a good guy. But most of the work in that church was done by who? It was done by me. Believe me. And I saved, brought to the Lord, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Romanians. And today there's about five large churches scattered across the south of Ireland. But I remember one day when we had a massive pool there in the church, a bit like we had here, had this massive pool. And we did a lot of baptisms one day. And I was leaving the church that day. And a backslider, a guy who was doing nothing, was at the back. And I passed him on the way out. And he was full of encouragement about his life. And he was like saying, I could see him say, oh, we're doing great. I'm doing great, aren't I? Look at all these people being baptized. And I remember walking out thinking, what's that got to do with you? You're not doing anything. Are you crediting this to your account? Are you taking credit for something that you haven't done? That's a deception. Do you understand me? VFC is the biggest missions church in the world this church but what's that got to do with me the people who are credited for those churches are the people on the field doing the work those who give in faith etc etc but if i don't have any part in it then i am deceived if i live on the encouragement of the group do you know what i mean there's going to be a day of a great surprise and that guy would walk in on judgment and say i'm here jesus open the book and she, you didn't do anything. What do you mean? I was there. You actually didn't do anything. And it's a surprise. And I, I hold myself accountable for, for everything that I do. And in the cold light of day, Jeanette, what have we done? And what are we truly doing? And make an assessment of that. Do you understand me? Amen. Don't live off other people's success. Rewards are going to be proportional to what you actually do. So I want to know what we're doing. What am I doing? And make a proper, sensible assessment of that. Not deluding myself. Not being deceived 
by other people's success or dedication. Very easy to be a passenger in a church. Amen. Amen. Very easy to be a passenger in a church. I'm not going to be a passenger anywhere. I am not going to be a passenger anywhere. Twice we didn't pastor. We didn't pastor in Liverpool, right? When we went there for that. Who was, for, who was outside the church before the pastor came? Me. Sitting in my car. Who's the last man out? Working full time at that point. And I don't do what I do because I'm a pastor. We weren't pastoring then. But you only get one shot at it. You see? And people are honestly, Christians, so dull. So dull. They let the opportunities. Every day is a chance to sow into your eternity. Every day, if you're a good investor, you can be investing in the future, in your eternal crown, which is what Jesus tells you to do. Or you can just be going as a passenger and then you've got a shock coming your way on that judgment day because there were other people's efforts or the attitudes, the motives, etc. are not right. So this, this is a very, very, very important. I'm not going to go into motives because Leanne did a message here some time back at about every three or four years. I think we need to look at that subject. Motivation is a huge thing with God. It's a huge issue with God. The reason... We do what we do. Why do we do it? Right, right in Genesis, right in the beginning with, with Cain and Abel. Remember, their motives are tested. And I, I need to regularly reassess myself and, and my attitudes, my motives. At the bottom of your notes, I've given a list there of what some of the things that Scripture says heaven will be like. This is the last message today in the apostasy series. And this is a a very good note to go out on. But heaven is a place where blood relatives are not the same as they are here in the same way. As we're all new, we're all in new bodies. Still the same people, but it doesn't have the same connection. No hospitals. <laughs> I thank God for the hospitals in the earth. When, when she broke her hip, I thank God for the doctors and the staff. It was just, they were brilliant. They were absolutely fantastic but I would rather not have them. I would rather not have sickness. I would rather not have disease. There's no sickness. It's a place where there's no loneliness, no handicaps, no worries, no tears, because God deals with them when you arrive. He wipes away every tears, every tear. No temptations, no regret. Fantastic, isn't it? It's a place of rest. A place where we can enjoy the rewards for everything we worked and did in this life. It really is a place of rest. It's a place where the saints are, where the Christians are. Remember when I worked in Jaguar Car Factory? The, yeah, yeah, she worked there as well. It, 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 I mean, it wasn't hell. Not hell. But for me, it was like hell. i tell you why. Because no believers. Everybody in that place was lost. All of them. And it was a horrible thing to go in every day, really, and be surrounded with no koinonia, no fellowship. It's just horrible. I don't want that forever, that's for sure. Heaven is where the saints are. Heaven is where the believers are. That's where I need to get. That's where I need to go. Wonderful, wonderful. It's a place where it says that God himself will be the light. And if you look at that, actually, it's in Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. 
verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, that's this earth here, and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. In other words, God achieves what he originally set out to achieve in the Garden of Eden. It's just been a terrible path along the way. Look at verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. So there you go. There's a description of heaven. No sun. No moon. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by that light. Now, I like to, to believe Scripture. I like to read the Bible and believe it. And increasingly, everywhere you go, because of the Discovery Channel, because of National Geographic, because of the increase of knowledge, people look at this, you see, and they mock you, and they mock me. Never be afraid to be mocked for believing the Bible. Amen. Never be afraid to be mocked for believing the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. I believe that this earth will be burned by fire, not a fire that destroys it. Moses in the burning bush, remember, did the fire destroy the tree? No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a purging fire, a cleansing fire. But we can look at this book of Revelation in great detail once we get the dates right, because I know people are going to go off for Christmas, etc. But I believe everything that is said here will literally come true, just the way he says it, that heaven will come down here on this earth, that the earth will be purged by fire. And those who have kept their garments clean, those who have overcome, as it says many times through the book of Revelation, they will be given the right to exist in this, the holy city. How wonderful is that? Take a look at this last one here. Revelation chapter 21 verse 16. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it was long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was agate, the fourth was emerald, the fifth was onyx, the sixth was ruby, the seventh was chrysolite, the eighth was beryl, the ninth was topaz, the tenth was turquoise, the eleventh is jacinth, and the twelfth is amethyst. Now, you can imagine this book was written somewhere in the year 91 to 93 by the Apostle John while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, just off Turkey, okay? thrown there by the Emperor Domitian. And Jesus visits him, and, and John is writing down furiously this book. And while he's writing it, he gets visions, and Jesus himself is speaking to him. Now, this is a long time ago. You take a look at this. This, 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 this little book here, and it's a very unusual book. Very hard to get. But these 12 stones, stones that John had no comprehension of. Right? This is a guy, was it Dr. Woodward? 
And in the 50s, he's a scientist, and his topic was light, okay? Studying light, a bit like Gideon Ho, if you remember, laser lights. And he decided to do some research, some testing, on how light affected precious stones. So he got all the precious stones, and he began to develop like intensified light. See this light, this normal light. But if you start to intensify that light in laser-like fashion, and you get a pair of Polaroid sunglasses, right? They're called Polaroid because they have lines on them. And you shine that light, you get polarized light. But if you get two pairs of sunglasses, and you put them at cross-sections with one another, and then you shine the light, what do you get? Cross-polarized light. Cross-polarized light. A focused pure light. So this doctor in the 50s, he was Christian, started to study the effect of light on precious stones. We just read it. The city that coming down from heaven, no sun, no moon, God. God is the light, it says. And then it tells you all the stones. And what Dr. Woodward discovered, which is an amazing discovery, he discovered when he shone cross-polarized light on diamonds, they go black. John didn't mention diamonds. Not one of the twelve. When he shone them on other precious stones, they went black. They gave no radiance. They gave no light. There were twelve precious stones that gave light. Which twelve? The twelve that were mentioned right there by John. And that tells me, once again, back to Scripture. Now, you can't borrow this book because every time I lend it to someone, they don't give it back. Right? Do you think John had Polaroid sunglasses? John had a vision. And he saw the heaven that was to come. He saw the future and he could see where it was taking, what, what God was going to do. Friends, don't disparage your Bible. Don't diminish Scripture. Don't despise it. Believe it. Believe it. I sat with a friend recently, a guy who just happened to be in town, and I was talking about Scripture, and it, it quite astonished me. Quite astonished me how... Don't believe Bible, you know. Don't believe Scripture. This is a great convincing fact, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? John saw that, and I believe you, if you overcome, you too will see it. Amen? Amen? Jesus told us what was important. And what's important is that you work on your eternal reward. And these are some of the criteria that you're going to have to face. Now, if I can just be blunt, folks. If you go for a job, you'll ask them how many hours you have to work. You'll ask them how many weeks holiday you get. And the most important question... <laughs> Well, at least give God the same honor of investigating what the rewards are for eternity. Amen. Amen. Because we're, it's a long time. It's a time that never ends.